When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Sandra Winka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Douglas Teich from Brookline, Massachusetts, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and thank you to Douglas from Brookline, Massachusetts, where we've been speculating that there may or may not be a notable golf course. Uh, we certainly think that there is a golf course in a place called Brookline. Uh, so Douglas, if that's where you live, uh, I hope it's lovely. And thank you very much for your support of the podcast and your intro there. This is a podcast being recorded on Monday, the 22nd of March. The Miami Open starts this week. The first ATP and WTA combined 1,000 event, well, ever since the WTA uh, switched up their tournament naming system to become uh, a 1,500, 250 situation that mirrors that of the ATP. It's a podcast recording that has been slightly delayed uh, by my collecting uh, a new pair of glasses. Very nice. And either of you, we've been on this Zoom call for about 20 minutes and nobody's mentioned them and I'm worried that they look crap. No, they're lovely. Aren't they, Matt? I hate to fish for compliments, but... <laughs> I only didn't mention them because we talked about them earlier in such detail on WhatsApp. OK, but now you're see them, seeing them in live living colour. They're moving. And they are yeah. just as great as I thought they were. They've lived great. up to all expectations and uh, they will look magnificent on the telly when you start. Great. Thank you. Yes, coverage of the Miami Open starts on Prime Video on Wednesday. Can you remember how to do uh, it? Y- yes. Excellent. Well, we'll find, <laughs> tune in on Wednesday to find out uh, if you're in the UK and Ireland. And also, if you if you want to check out my new pair of glasses, I've been chatting to Andy Murray uh, this week. I mentioned that uh, on the last pod, but I can I can now talk about what he said in that interview. Um, we'll be coming on to that later on after we've talked about what's happened in the last four or five days of tennis, and we possibly. David and Matt went a bit early with our Aslan Karatsev is definitely a thing podcast. Can we just chop out uh, our big Aslan Karatsev in the kitchen discussion and and plonk it back into this week's podcast? What has he perhaps? has he moved on in his kitchen status? That's the question because I mean, you what know, dancing on the table. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. We haven't really worked out the the key. Coyote ugly yeah. style. <laughs> 
<laughs> we haven't really worked out the uh, the levels yet. Uh, but in, I mean, Yannick Sinner has given us the base, obviously, and now we've, we're, we're working on the detail of what goes in the kitchen and who's what, uh, who's in charge of what. But yeah, he is one of those players who keeps surprising and i'm i'm waiting for him to run into a brick wall where it doesn't happen for him because at the moment he seems to have answers for everything and you know he's gone on from that wonderful run at the australian open and just reproduced it on a a, a major tour stop to come through all comers and i and i i love what he's doing i mean the match against andre rublev the other day was a real shock to the system because he did to Rublev what the very top players do to Rublev at Grand Slams. He stood there and he said, come on, give me your best shots. And he hit them back with interest. And, and to the point where he hit double the, the amount of winners as his opponent. Incredible, really. And he just seems to... Pace doesn't bother him at all. If you come at him with pace, he's going to take you on and he's going to knock you out, clean out. And uh, I find it really interesting to see where that leads him. That was a real benchmark result, I think, beating Rublev in the semi-finals because what we always say about Rublev is he beats everybody that he's supposed to beat and he loses to the people that are that are just a bit better than him. So is Aslan Karatsev just a bit better than even Andrei Rublev who, okay, he's the world number eight at the moment. He thinks he should be the world number four. That is a topic of discussion uh, we'll be coming on to later. But I think in terms of the, the race... Oh, that was dread. That was a dreadful. <laughs> oh. I I would ask you to edit it out, but I know you won't. <laughs> <laughs> that was meant to be Ralph Andadow, wasn't it? Oh, sort of. I didn't plan it. It, it was dreadful. Anyway, the race. <laughs> in terms of the race, he would be. I think. I think world number four, um, Andre Rublev. So is Aslan Karatsev better than Andre Rublev at the moment? Is it as simple as that? Is he a sort of top? top five tennis player at the moment at the moment yes I think he's he's shown a peak level which is absolutely among the top five that we've seen this year I think he's five in the race himself Karatsev um I've seen Rublev's game look ineffective I'm not sure I've ever seen him bullied in the way that Karatsev was just manhandling him it was very similar to what he did to Schwartzman at the Australian Open you just saw two players, and if you came to that match completely blind, you would have thought that Karatsev was the one with the higher ceiling, the higher ranking, the more potential. Uh, it was just one dodgy game he played in the second set that actually made the match close, and Rublev managed to win the second set. But otherwise, it was a real sort of drubbing that, that Karatsev handed out. He's got incredible power off both wings, these compact swings, which he seems to be able to hit either down the line or cross-court at will. He's putting up the most incredible numbers on return. His returning stats this year are at the absolute top level. And yeah, I think, when is this When is this going to end? That's kind of the feeling I'm left with. But maybe it isn't. Maybe this is now his level and the level that he's comfortable at. I think he's going to Miami without his coach because his coach couldn't get a visa. So that would be kind of interesting to see sort of how he copes at a Masters 1000 event and everything that comes with that for the first time. Um, but yeah, I mean, the secret's out. I, I, I think we can say that about Karatsev. Medvedev described him as the secret weapon. This is now a known quantity 
and players are just, not going to want to weapon. face him. Just a weapon now, yeah. He's, just a straight-up weapon. He's only lost to Djokovic and team this year. Everyone else he's beaten. I, I do love the, the way he, 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 he's just sort of catapulted him into the conversation after a few weeks of being better than Rublev. It, it's, it's, it's like when my son says to me, well, Albion, our West Bromwich Albion, we beat... Um, we beat Sheffield United, who beat Liverpool. So we, we're we better than <laughs> Liverpool, Dad, aren't we? That is definitely how sport works. <laughs> and I just go, yeah, that's about the size of it, son, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. I mean, Rublev's thing has been consistency over a long period of time, and there's a lot to be said for that. That gets you in the top 10 of the rankings, if you can consistently win a lot of tournaments and a lot of matches. You know, we've speculated what is Rublev's ceiling. And it's possible that someone like Karatsev can come along and be able to play better tennis in a one-off match in a one-off tournament. He might not have the consistency, but he's going to potentially have higher peaks. I don't know. Um, I mean, he's certainly in the kitchen. Is he he in the mix for Miami? Oh, crikey. Well, the mix in Miami for the ATP tournament is is a mess, really. Is there any is there anybody in that draw that's not in the mix? It's going to be such a a weird draw. I mean, I, I mean to be clear, the the list of withdrawals. Um, and there, there are some notable ones on on the women's side. We had Serena Williams withdrawing a couple of days ago after oral surgery. She says she's really gutted to be missing the tournament she considers it her home tournament she's really disappointed to to miss out um she says um but the men's side is decimated decimated and we might not yet be at the full list of withdrawals um we'll come on to talk about it some more um because various players have been making various comments uh, about something that might be brewing in tennis um we will we will settle on that and discuss it but just to to stick on the tennis and and the the mix which Matt has suddenly thrown into the conversation uh for the men the Miami Open is a heck of an opportunity to win a Masters 1000 title for someone whether it be someone that's coming back someone that's trying to establish themselves someone that's trying to raise their ceiling uh, and push on to the next kind of milestone. It it's a huge gaping opportunity, I think. Mm. Yeah, and uh, a guy like Karatsev, a lot will depend. I would have thought on on how he transitions with this trip from Dubai, because that's that can't be that easy to just mm. make that trip, get accustomed to it when everybody else has already been over there maybe for a while longer. Um, but at least it is a two-week tournament, or at least a week and a half tournament. So you have a bit longer to to, to get into it. And he just seems very comfortable at this level. That's the thing that really surprises me is is that those that wasn't a two-week spell showing a one-off. I mean, I I still don't fully get it. If I'm honest, when when I look at his age and his list of well, his career trajectory to to this point. I, I listened to his press conference after the, the title win in Dubai, and he was asked about that. He, you know, you, you you came along and you had twenty thirteen to twenty eighteen, and and it, you your ranking was was down in the hundreds and lower. Um, and he described his 
journey from trying to find the right place to base himself and he spent time in germany and then he spent time in barcelona for i think for three years and uh and he said in the end it was a coach that really made the difference to me just finding the right coach and he said it wasn't about it being a big named coach or anything like that it was just the right coach for me who who settled on how i should play and how we should work and 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 i've i've got to this point and obviously he's been catapulted up by that australian open performance but Seeing what he's capable of, it is his timing, his ability with the racket. It is incredible that it didn't happen earlier for him. Um, but now his level looks like it belongs. And um, yeah, you're right. It's an opportunity for him in, in Miami. It's an opportunity for him everywhere because his game should do all right on clay, I would have thought. I mean, what a, mm. what a ball striker. Mm. It's interesting. I've tried to find footage of previous Aslan Karatsev. Um, sort of pre-lockdown Aslan Karatsev, pre-being really good Aslan Karatsev. And there is so little available uh, because he was playing so few televised tournaments. And what is available is on really ropey cameras, uh, really dodgy angles and sort of smudgy lenses and so on. So um, it's, yeah, it's not quite as satisfying and binary a transformation is say Jennifer Brady where it's you know it's that really clear story arc for her I had this moment this well this is how it would be told in a film about Jennifer Brady's life I had this light bulb moment where I decided I'm not making the most of my career I've got to do something different I'm going to move to Germany I'm going to make myself as strong physically as I possibly can get this new coach that completely puts his puts me through my paces and I've got a whole new outlook on the sport it's not it's not quite that story for Karatsev, is it? It's more, yeah, it's less It's less easy to tell in a Hollywood movie type thing. It would be more of an art house, an art house thing with fewer cliches. It feels like it begins at the Australian Open because although he had those, he had that series of really good challenger results uh, last year, the, the, the manner in which he rocked up in Melbourne and went through qualifying and just blazed his way through the draw is it's rocky balboa stuff really it's uh, the and and like you say i don't i don't feel like i understand that's not an art house movie david you just blown my analogy apart i bloody love rocky balboa anyway i i just feel that i i don't know what the guy's um story is really i mean he he He's an interesting fella to listen I think, to. I think way. it's 27 years of doing um, calf exercises in the gym. <laughs> for this moment. <laughs> and then for, for, it's all coming to fruition in 2021. <laughs> his, his legs touch each other as he walks. Yeah, it is. It's, it's ridiculous. I swear they're getting bigger. Like cartoon um, characters. Yeah, yeah. Um so, yeah, he's number five in the race. Uh, he's languishing way, way lower in the rankings because it's so, so hard to climb up. Zverev and Rublev have both had had pops at the ranking system uh, this week. Uh, Zverev said he thinks it's absurd that he um, remained behind Roger Federer in the rankings. That was a, a comment we picked up on last week. And those comments were put to Rublev. And he said, if we would have the normal system, I would be like number four in the world, I think. Uh, so what do you think is better for me to be number eight or number four? I mean, sure, there are, you know, the current system um, will disadvantage certain individuals and tennis is a selfish sport. I would expect those individ- individuals to be 
unhappy about it, but that doesn't mean in the overall that this this isn't still making the best of a bad bad situation. I'm still yet to hear a proposed alternative which is superior to to what we have as as unsatisfactory as it as what we have might sometimes feel. Um, so you'll just have to settle for being in the kitchen for now, even if uh, it's not reflected in the rankings. Uh, they're both in the kitchen, just sort of making an omelette, I would say. <laughs> we're gonna have to, you know, periodically, you know, we, we, periodically, we're going to have to just retell what Yannick Sinner has said to set us up with the kitchen <laughs> analogy in the first place. Yes. Well, you know in MasterChef where they where someone sort of makes a shepherd's pie and they sort of waftedly say, it's me on a plate. Do you do you ever sort of think about what you would describe as you on a plate? I often think it's an omelette. I often have fantasies about going on MasterChef, making a cheese omelette and going, it's just me on a plate. <laughs> what would be Aslan Karatsev on a plate? I can honestly say I've never given that any thought ever. Are you going to now though? Does it not make you laugh when people like cook a steak and chips and it's just me on a plate? As Aslan would be a rump steak. Yes, mm. do cow, but cows have quite spindly legs. Do they? Right. Mm, relative to their body size, I don't know what animal does have big calves. <laughs> I've I've driven us all down a cul-de-sac here. <laughs> Matt, have you got anything to contribute to this very stretched analogy? No. No, no, right. Okay. Um, so it was, uh, we should probably mention the man he beat in the final uh, in Dubai, uh, Lloyd Harris, um, who's been on a heck of a run of late. Lloyd Harris sort of snuck up on us all and is somebody that's making the most of his opportunity. Again, we mentioned him um, briefly in last week's podcast. We touched upon him. Um, I've watched a bit more of him since then, in particular his win over Denis Shapovalov in the semi finals, which. Is was I think as much about Denis Shapovalov squandering a massive opportunity. Might even have to use the c word um, to to describe that loss for Shapovalov. But Lloyd Harris is a a better tennis player than I thought he was. And goodness me, what an athlete! Goodness me, that is. I mean, yeah, he's he is maximising, isn't he? He is. There's a lot more substance to him than I. Then I realised yeah, that Lloyd Harris. covers the court incredibly well, and um, I mean he was hurt in that match a bit as well. Uh, he was feeling it, and and Shapovalov was playing beautifully. And yes, I mean he did tighten horribly, including two double faults when he was um, locked in battle in the second set to give Harris the second set. But to some degree, that movement extracts the choke. He kept on making Shapovalov play, and uh, I'm pr- I feel like I'm slightly letting Dennis off the hook a bit there because I, because it was he blew it. He really did blow it. But Harris is yeah, he keeps turning up. I mean, he he and Karatsev not that dissimilar in that way. The fact that nobody talks about them. You know, you come into these events, nobody's looking for Lloyd Harris in the draw, and yet he often makes himself a little bit relevant somehow. So. Fair play. He might end up being sort of third seed in Miami, the way we're going. (laughs) Then we'll be looking for him in the draw. (laughs) Shapovalov has won one of his 11 
semi-finals on the ATP tour. I hadn't really registered that he had such a poor record in semi-finals. Uh, he, he, he's been through to two finals because he got a walkover in, in one semi-final. Uh, but he's been the higher ranked player in about half of those semi-finals. So it feels like he has a problem, a big problem in, in those matches. And yeah, he was, was he a set and 4-2 up on Lloyd Harris? Mm. You've got to close And, and the nature of this defeat will surely add to that problem. Assuming that problem is a... A mental one, which the which the stats would suggest, and the double that faults, is the that is yeah that is a, a that. loss that comes with baggage. He, he tried baggage. when he was trying to find a way to get his serve in effectively at the end of that second set. He was standing way out wide mm. to serve to uh, well, it's the juice court, but the one where he's hitting, you know, out wide. Uh, the other way and and he was he was standing in the corner like he was a, a doubles player uh, and he was almost falling over as he's hitting the serve because he was so off balance because of the way the ball toss was and it's really disconcerting to watch it you feel edgy watching him in that situation and and yeah he's got to find a way to get over that mm. Mm. well he'll be very high seeded um when the draw, when the, well, we've had the women's draw, we haven't had the men's draw yet in Miami, but he'll be, he'll certainly be a top 10 seed, I would think, Denis Shapovalov. So big opportunity for him. But as I say, I do worry about that, that baggage that is accumulating. Uh, Juan Sebastian Cabal, Robert Farah won the doubles title in Dubai. They beat Nikola Mektic and Mate Pavic. Mektic and Pavic are a new partnership for this year. There's a lot of those. Um, and uh, yeah, that's their first title for 18 months, Cabal and Farrow, which I hadn't really... I mean, I know it's been a weird 18 months, um, very interrupted, but I still hadn't really processed that they had gone so long without a title because there was that period around when they won that Wimbledon title, which I guess was 2019, um, when they just felt completely invincible for a while and they were just riding this wave and sort of just sweeping everybody aside before them. So first title in 18 months for them. Uh, we'll stay with the men, seeing as we're there. Uh, we've had a title for Alexander Zverev in Acapulco. Uh, he beat Stefanos Sitsipas in the final. Sitsipas was the eventual conqueror of Lorenzo Musetti. In the semi-finals, I've just watched a fifteen minutes, fifteen-minute tennis TV highlights reel of Lorenzo Mazzetti uh, from all his matches uh, over the week, and I enjoyed it very much indeed. Yeah, he's cool, mm. Matt. You, you saw you saw a lot of him, including that match against Sitsipas, and he was, I think, he was a bit hurt in that one, wasn't he? But I think he probably also hit the wall and hit Sitsipas in good form. It's almost like. How I would imagine Massetti playing himself in three years' time, you mm. know? <laughs> yes, I think that's that's a good description. That Sitsipas just has a little bit more power, a little more to his game. He's a little more developed than Mazzetti. And combine that with the way Mazzetti was feeling physically after a lot of long matches. He had quite a lot of treatment on an ab problem during that match. But he, he was great to watch. He, he really was... It felt to me like he was the story in Acapulco. Mm. And and thankfully, he's he hopefully will continue that story to Miami because he has got into the draw there. Yes. Which is just great news for Miami. Yes, as as the men kept withdrawing from Miami, Mazzetti was getting closer and closer and eventually he did get in. Um, 
this is going to be one of those sentences which annoys both of you. But I, oh, great. I can't remember the feeling, because oh, I was too young, of what it was like when Richard Gasquet was coming through. But oh, I, great. <laughs> but I, I feel a little bit like there are potentially some comparisons with Musetti in terms of, I mean, obviously in terms of playing style wise. Mm. And just this, from what I've read and from some things I've heard, I think Gasquet was so exciting when he came through. And there was this idea that, oh, great, we're going to get to watch Gasquet's tennis for the next 10 years at least. And it's expressive tennis and it's going to be a joy to watch. I have that feeling about Musetti at the moment. I think if he can put it together, that game is going to be so thrilling to watch because it's just so pleasing on on the eye, the way he constructs points, the way mm. he hits the tennis ball. He's more of a showman, I think, than Richard Gasquet ever even promised to be at a at a young age. He seems like he's going to be comfortable in the spotlight. Yeah, he enjoys mm. it more, doesn't he? Yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't think Richard Gasquet ever looked like he was comfortable with the byproducts of his style of play. Uh, there was sort of a clash between the the way he mm. played and his personality, whereas with Lorenzo Mazzetti, it seems to be a, a synergy. In tandem. Mm. Mm. I, I was at Gasquet's professional debut when he was 15 in 2002 in Monte Carlo, and he played, um, he won his professional debut match against a former French Open semi-finalist, Franco Scolari. And uh, I mean, it was it was incredible to watch. And and I remember Tim Henman, who ended up reaching the semi-finals at Monte Carlo, was asked about Gasquet in um, in his post-match press conference. Did you did you watch any of him? And all he did was motion his backhand like that, and and, and through the air like a shadow stroke, as if to say, yeah, that shot's special. Um, and I, I do feel, I mean, the, the, there have been some stats going around this last week. I think Gasquet won something like his 550th match or something like that. I'm not exactly sure what the number was, but there was a there was a, 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 a notable number. And yet I feel a bit shortchanged by Richard Gasquet's career when I think of how he made us feel back then. And he backed that up by, I think he beat Federer at Monte Carlo. He, he, I, I'll never forget commentating on him at Wimbledon on court number one, knocking out Andy Roddick in 2007, Roddick coming in as the champion at Queens. And he, I think he hit about, well, he, he hit just dozens of backhand winners. I mean, I think there, there might've been 60 odd backhand winners that day. Um, and he didn't quite, I don't think, fulfil his potential. Massetti, looking at him, he really is exciting because there's uh, he's beefed up, he, he's, he's got these wonderful strokes, flowing strokes, and he does seem to love the occasion. He seems to lap it up. I mean, I, I did think we, 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 when we spoke on Thursday, we were talking about, will we stay up and, and set the alarm for him against Dimitrov, which was that strange feeling of this is what Dimitrov used to be t- t- 10 years ago. Um, and uh, and I watched that and it was a straight set win for Massetti. He was brilliant. He, he really overpowered Dimitrov. Um, I did m- remark to Matt, I hope Massetti 
just gets off the ground after victory a little bit quicker because you did one of those sort of flat on the back celebrations and just left Dimitrov at the net for about 10 minutes <laughs> it felt like before he eventually <laughs> peeled himself off but you know he's a kid and he just had the moment of his life so and Dimitrov's a lovely bloke so it wasn't an issue um but yeah if he ca- carries on in the same way he he should have a lot to him. He, he seems to me to be standing very far back as his default position, which I I personally liked it when he would step up a bit more. Um, and I think the best players take advantage of players who are all the way back there. I think closing out matches is something he will need to get a bit more efficient at. I think every win he had this this week, it, it took him sort of several match points to just about get over the line. Um yeah, I don't know. The reason the Gasquet comparison popped into my head was I, I was on YouTube and it recommended Gasquet versus Nadal at Monte Carlo in 2005. And I was watching that and it was a really close match. Gasquet was, I think he won the first set against Nadal. And I thought to myself, was that Gasquet's biggest chance to win the French Open 2005? Possibly, because he was right there with Nadal, seemingly level-wise. And then the dog just sort of went off into a different level that, that Gasquet could never reach and no one can reach at the French Open. But I just had this this moment where I thought, was that kind of peak Gasquet in those very early years? And then I was trying to transfer those those thoughts I was having about Mazzetti. And I, but I just think just think Mazzetti's future is so, so bright, surely. Mm. That's a niche, niche YouTube rabbit hole to fall down, <laughs> Matt. We all have them. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so it was uh, Sitsipas that eventually toppled Musetti in the semi-finals. Fa- fairly one-sided match. Uh, the eventual champion um, uh, Alex Verev had to topple Dominic Kupfer in the semi-finals, uh, and they played through an earthquake. Yes, folks, you heard me right: an earthquake. Yeah, and sort of didn't seem to notice. Certainly, the commentators didn't notice. I suppose the commentators aren't there, um, and you might think maybe the cameraman is just, you know, having a fiddling moment, with some, fid, fiddling with something in his pocket or something. I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> the camera just started shaking. Um, but yeah, it was. It was. Uh, what else to say? It was an actual earthquake midpoint. Yeah, cup for was on court when the sonic boom happened at the French mm. Open. He was on court for the earthquake in Acapulco. And last year, I think in Rome as well, he was also on court for a blackout where they, where they totally lost power <laughs> midpoint. There's this brilliant video where they're just having a rally and, and the lights go out. And then you just gently hear in the umpire in the background going, let... <laughs> <laughs> Is cut for playing Miami? I do hope so. <laughs> yeah, I'm watching um, his matches in future. Like a, a lightning rod for dis- for natural disaster. Not that a blackout's a natural disaster, but um, right. Well, uh, <laughs> it was Zverev that uh, battled through the earthquake. Played sits a pass in the final. Um, I watched the early stages of this live before going to sleep, and then I ended up watching the highlights. It looked like it was going to be a rout for Sitsipas. He was, he, I think he broke Zverev to love in Zverev's opening service game, during which there was an incredibly weird point where Zverev 
motioned to hit an overhead, what looked to be a fairly simple overhead um, from near the baseline, hit an air shot. It almost looked like a sort of Mansour Barami intentional moment. Hit an air shot and then turned on his heel and went went back to the baseline to to hit a standard uh, forehand rally shot um, and dumped it into the net. It was extremely odd and it was... It was a moment that made me think, oh, God, could this be like a, a, a proper route where one one party just doesn't show up and it's almost a bit awkward and uncomfortable? And it kind of proceeds that way for a while. Sitsipas is just bullying him around and making him move, really making use of the drop shot, which is something he did against uh, Mazzetti as well. It felt like he was just in a drop shot groove and it was really working against Zverev because, you know, he's six foot six. Movement isn't the the biggest part of his game and then suddenly there's just this massive turnaround that I just didn't see coming not that I didn't see Zverev sort of rallying a bit um, but I didn't see Sitsipas scoring a 4-1 lead in the opening set and it just felt like suddenly Zverev opened up his shoulders and started hitting really smoothly and just started absolutely middling the ball and sometimes he can look a little bit like he's pushing it the follow-through isn't isn't quite there whereas when he's playing at his best he's got that really kind of textbook scarf follow through on the backhand side that I know Daniela and Greg are always talking about in the prime video studio the sort of the optimum double-handed backhand follow through is where your your two your two hands and your um your arms sort of form a form a scarf around your neck um and that's what it looked like he was he was doing on on both on both wings as he sort of progressed through the match but i'm still a bit perplexed about how that how that first set played out well sitsipas looked incredibly hot and bothered to me uh, under those conditions maybe not helped by the fact that he's wearing a black t-shirt that's just clinging to him and um he looked like he was a bit gassed in the in the points as well i mean there's some long points he looked a bit out of breath um zverev just seemed to go for it for, for for quite a bit of the match. But I also think he was sh- surprising Sitsabas because occasionally there were these bullet serves and then there were these rolled-in serves at 68 miles an hour. So I don't think Sitsabas really knew what was coming uh, from one point to the next. Uh, and But it didn't seem as though it bothered Zverev. He, he's, he wasn't getting worked up because he was double faulting or missing or anything. He just carried on. Um and I think he, well, yeah, I mean, he he got the better of him in the end. I mean, I think it was it was a 7-6 second set, which I didn't see mm. personally. I didn't watch all of it. But it sounded pretty close, pretty on a knife edge until that tie break. And then he raced away with the mm. tie break. Mm. It was a really edgy end to the match. They served for it at 6-4, 5-4. You know, did one of his absolutely terrible double faults into the bottom of the net. And then the next game, the 5 all game, he had seven break points, couldn't take any of them. Sitsipas saved saved them, and I was thinking at that point, well, it's quite likely now that Sitsipas is going to take this second set and perhaps fall back into the pattern of that first set. But Zverev did manage to hold serve, take it into a tie break, and then played a really, really good tie break. Um, yeah, I agree. Sitsipas did seem to be struggling a little bit in those conditions, but I think he really enjoyed Acapulco as a tournament. He's he's played Dubai in the past, but I have a feeling that he might now 
switch up that schedule and maybe go to Acapulco more often. He seemed to really embrace the atmosphere that there was, even with limited fans. No one seems to go to Acapulco and go, that was crap. Yeah. Just doesn't happen, does it? Yeah. (laughs) The difference was really jarring because Dubai obviously had no Mm. fans. And that Mm. it's a tough experience, I think, for these players. It's a tough watch in that way. Yeah, and Sitsipas was in pretty um, talkative mood after the match um, about various things. Um, this is reported by Chris Otto on uh, on Twitter. There's some comments from Sitsipas that kind of stirred a pot that's that's uh, been on the hob for for a little while in the old kitchen. Uh, I wasn't planning that analogy, but I do think it worked. <laughs> um, he said uh, on the subject of heading into another another bubble in Miami, he said, honestly, I like Miami as a tournament, but I feel I won't hide anything from you. I feel it won't be as good as the previous years and I feel it won't be as good as Acapulco this week. I find it very difficult to believe. So I go there with low expectations, not expecting much from the tournament itself. It has other restrictions and it will operate entirely on its own and with a different system. I like playing there, but without fans, it's going to be really different. And some other things that will be happening as well that I heard. I guess that also explains the absence of players. I don't want to say more and comment more on that. But in a way, I'm not surprised. So he takes the pin off the grenade and he tosses it into the ether. Uh, And that did pick up on... A thread that had sort of been started by Denis Shapovalov earlier in the week. He had spoke to Reem Abelil in in Dubai and he said the following. I definitely think there's going to be a lot of withdrawals and a lot of people not going to tournaments because the prize money is low. In a way, it's not motivating to play every week and play all the big tournaments because there's not really a lot in it for us other than the slams at this point that are paying just as much or better like in Australia this year. For sure, it's difficult for the players, but we're in this situation. Hopefully, the ATP or someone can do something to improve the prize money and bring it back to what it was. But it is what it is right now. We have other obligations from sponsors, contracts that obligate us to play as well. So for sure, that's definitely one reason why a lot of players are still playing. Because otherwise, I feel like a lot of players just wouldn't play at all. I feel like other sports have been able to find solutions and find ways to keep the prize money and keep their salaries. I feel like there are better ways to solve this problem and go about it from the ATP side. Um, and look, there are there are rumours swirling of some sort of action from the PTPA in Miami this week. Everybody's noticed how many withdrawals there have been on the ATP side. At the moment, it's only been individual withdrawals. There's been no group action or group statement or anything of that kind we have asked around uh, to to see if anybody can sort of hint at anything official that might be in the works and honestly nobody's got anything sort of people are saying yeah I've heard the same as you but nobody has much more than sort of it feels like something might be a brewing certainly nobody had my excellent kitchen analogy (laughs) um I'm not saying there isn't reason for tennis players to be feeling it at the moment. There is. Just because they're millionaires and living a great life, they're still allowed to struggle with bubble life um, and struggle with not playing in front of crowds and struggle with all the various 
aspects of how the pandemic has compromised their existence. That's fine. Making comments about prize money and, oh, surely the ATP can do something more or something different to preserve our prize money and incentivize us to play a bit more and we wouldn't even bother playing if it weren't for sponsors. That's a different kettle of fish to me and one that I just is going to fall so flat. If that's the premise on which some kind of group action is brewing, that is going to be a tough sell if they need to win hearts and minds. Maybe they don't. Maybe maybe that doesn't matter to them. Um, and I'm still yet to hear anybody say, this is how it is and it sucks, but here's exactly how we can do it differently and still have these tournaments offering brilliant prize money in the midst of this pandemic. How is that? Have you heard anybody make any suggestions on those lines? I haven't. I mean, it's rubbish. This pandemic is rubbish. It's rubbish for everyone. It is obviously completely unideal, the situation we have at the moment. But the show is on the road. And that is not an insignificant achievement. And it's one that we're all very grateful for. A lot of livelihoods depend on it. And the lack of appreciation for that is not going to play well, I don't think. It's it's hardly Chris Everett and Martina Novatilova talking about their the obligation they felt like they had back in the day to the tour to build the tour and support the tour and everything that that meant where's the where's the obligation to something more than the individual Mm. we're not hearing it yeah i mean i I, as you said there are the, the bubble life itself is clearly tough and there are players that have just decided to opt out because they don't want that to be their lives. Think back a year and Ash Barty missed virtually the whole year, didn't she? Mm. And uh, Nick Kyrgios doesn't, is just not playing unless it's in Australia. And, and then Gilles Simon's pulled out of tennis now. I mean, he's at, at a certain age, I think, where he probably thinks it's maybe not so, so important. Um, but yeah, to, it is a tough thing to listen to, really, to hear the the twenty one year olds just talk about the prize money being a disincentive. Yes, I, I get it is. I get the point, <laughs> but I mean, do you want it or don't you? Uh, just at this stage, because let's be realistic, they're all suffering now. You can argue about the degrees. John Isner has had his say on social media the other week, saying that he doesn't think those that share is right between the players and, and the tournaments. I get it, um, but just it I, it just doesn't sit well with me, really. I'd rather they just got on with it for the most part at the moment. Yeah, I think the only sort of alternative suggestion that I've heard was one that we talked about at the end of the Australian Open, which was players pushing to create a bubble for the tour to go to and stay at for a long time. It's just totally unrealistic in tennis. I think I think they were looking mm. at the NBA bubble as the as the exemplar of that. But I, I mean, I believe that cost almost two hundred million dollars. That's just it's just not possible for tennis and with different tournaments that, that have their own gate and all that sort of mm. thing and how they how they create money. What happens when when tennis is able to resume as normal? The tour, the tournaments mm. will have died. Yeah, you know, with the, mm. this is life support. Yeah. And t- tennis is 
is far worse positioned than other sports due to its structure, its international nature, to to cope with the pandemic. That is just an unfortunate fact about tennis. Um, yeah, it's well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll be coming to you again on Thursday. If anything's happened, uh, we'll we'll update you on it. But yeah, as it stands at the moment, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, none of them are playing Miami. Uh, all different reasons. Team. Um, team not playing Miami. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a long old list. But the Some, women's draw looks fantastic. The Serena women's Williams draw is aside. cracking. Serena is the only withdrawal from Miami, and that is disappointing. But it doesn't hit the draw that hard. I don't think it doesn't feel like oh god. It feels like that's a shame, but this is still cracking. Um, and you know you've got Ash Barty there. This is her sort of re-entering the mainstream of playing playing tour tennis week in week out, which is so welcome. The draw's been done. Barty's at the top of it as the as the top seed. She's got Kerber in her section. Azarenka and Kerber could play in in round number three. Yes, please. Um, you've got Simona Halep in the same section as Coco Goff. I think they could play in round number three. You've got uh, Petra Kvitova in there, Lena Svitolina, obviously. Those two are in the same section. Bianca Andreescu could play Amanda Anisimova in the third round. You've got Ons Jabeur and Sophia Kennan could play in the third round. Carolina Pliskova and Jessica Pagula could play in the third round. Sakari and Burtons, Mertens and Kontovate, Osaka, Putin, Saver. I mean, those are opening round, like early round matches. I mean, it's just splendid. I'm going to marinate in all of it. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. 
Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Also in the Miami draw, David, don't worry, we will talk about St. Petersburg. I'm leaving it to the end so that we can dedicate minimal, minimum possible time to it. Uh, But we're going to go to Monterey first. And a maiden WTA Tour title for 18-year-old Canadian Leila Fernandez. She beat Victoria Golubic in the final. Um, Straight set. She didn't drop a set all week. She's a former French Open junior champion. 2019, she won that title. Uh, She was beaten by Clara Towson in the Australian Open girls final that year. Ding, 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 Clara Towson alert. And she's she's potentially, I mean, she's got a long, long way to go, but she's a potential to add her name into the WTA Avengers, I think, in the in the coming years. And she'd be a welcome addition to the lineup if she does, because she's so different to the rest of them. She's this tiny little thing, um, which really... I mean, it's hard not to fall onto sort of pocket rocket style cliches, but she really is this tiny little thing. And she generates she generates tremendous power relative to her size, but it's obviously not the power that, you know, an Asalka or an Andreescu have. But she just plays with this incredible precision, I think. So many of her balls drop sort of seemingly within six inches of the baseline. And she, she can play with tons of topspin and she can also flatten it out and because of her stature her movement is just a dream and I think the biggest weapon of all is the fire in her belly she is I don't know she just looks like she's on a mission to me there really seems to be a fire about her and she's she just she lights up your screen I think yeah, we've seen it coming for a while in terms of her being a factor that you notice, a player that you notice, and yet this is the first time I think she's just blazed through a draw and had her way, had her way with everybody. She's been a really good opponent. She's had good wins, but this felt different. This felt like coming of age stuff. And uh, and and she, you know, I reel off these players in the women's draws and just keep looking down them and. And thinking, crikey, this sport isn't a good place right now mm. in women's tennis. But this is different. The, the, this is a player that wasn't in that list, really, for me. It was, an, it was a player uh, that they would come up against. Now she feels like maybe she could be one of them. And uh, that's really exciting. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that analysis of, of her game. I love watching her play. She... She gets down so low. She really crouches. I mean, she can do that because she's slight and yet she's got enough power. Extremely well balanced, really good IQ and court sense. Mm. It's 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 a very, it, it's a different style, yeah, but it's it's really watchable. Something a little bit Hingis like about the mm. way she moves the ball around and and the way you can see her thinking several shots ahead. Yeah, I think so. I think her serve is probably still mm. It, it's improving, but the second serve is attackable. I think that's probably yeah. the one area where I where I look and think she could be vulnerable against players who are higher ranked than her. 
And dare, dare I draw a, a parallel there with the St. Petersburg champion, Dario Kazakina? Yes, you may. Absolutely right. <laughs> That's fine. Um, who, who, because oh, uh, off he, go, off he well, goes. What's interesting about Kazakina is she was the one we were talking about four or five years ago. Yeah. As being of really exciting talent. We're, I remember us in the BT Sport studio when, when, when they had the rights, just predicting when's this woman going to break the top 20 you know it was that kind of conversation and of course she did and she she reached the indian wells final and i just find it a really interesting moment in the sport that she faced osaka in the indian wells final three years ago and the directions the two of them went thereafter because really kasakina has not improved since then she hasn't got gone up Osaka's gone to the moon. Um, but Kasakina is so much fun to watch, such a joy when it's all going well because she's in, she's this great athlete and ball sort of ball player, not striker, a player, much more in the Barty mould. And I remember her playing later that year. She played Barty at Wimbledon, and I, I commentated on that match, and she dissected Barty and and just dismantled her game which is quite a thing to do and uh, unfortunately it wasn't a game that has managed to to move on and I think it's uh, we talked about it with Karatsev having the right coach she need, she's she's coached now by Svetlana Kuznetsova's former coach and there's a real similarity in the way those two play heavy top spun forehand variety comfortable at the net great mover i mean kasakina moves around the court like a butterfly you don't hear her footsteps at all um and she came back in this uh, st petersburg tournament from a set down three times including twice from one six down um in i think the quarters and the semis to 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 win through and fulfill exactly what i said would happen at the outset of the tournament <laughs> Should say here that that Matt also predicted Zverev would win in Acapulco. Yeah, but and I, I, with dignity and grace, but I got, went through the whole discussion of that without mentioning it. Yeah, but I got three times the points. So. <laughs> Sign up to the newsletter, folks. <laughs> talk, talk us through the victory ceremony, David. Well, we love a St. Petersburg victory ceremony. Margarita Gasparian does not. No. Well, I, can, well, I can't I can give you chapter and verse because I can tell you that at match point, I sort of started doing my own cartwheels around the living room, having uh, won the newsletter predictions uh, tournament for the week and closed the gap on Matt to 20 points. Uh, and then 38 minutes later, having left the match... I turned it back. I turned the stream back on because it was still live and I couldn't understand why it was still live. And there's Margarita Gasparian, who, poor player, had retired, injured 40 minutes earlier. And there she was just about to give her runner-up speech on the court, having uh, sat through, well, what looked like a magnificent show, but I'm not sure that's exactly what she wanted to be exposed to at that particular point. Yes. Did you sit through all of it, Matt? Do you know, this is one of the first occasions I've not watched the St. Petersburg ceremony. It's, I normally mark my calendar, you know, for the WTA one <laughs> and the ATP one at the end of the year. It's it's a real event. But no, I did miss this one. They they usually get a sort of uh, B-rate singer from the 90s <laughs> yes. to perform. <laughs> and it's great. It, it'd be fascinating if Kasatkina can, can build on this. I mean, she's won two titles now this year. She won... Oof, I'm, I've, I'm into territory of a, of a title in Australia that 
whose name I can't remember. <laughs> I think it might have been the one in the second week of the Australian Open. The, 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 the penguin one. The penguin one. She won that one. Phillip Island Trophy. Phillip Island, yeah. that's it. Um, so she's got two titles now and let's hope she can because that slump she went through after that rise that David has described to me is one of the most inexplicable ones because I think, I don't know, sometimes we look for things to be black and white and there was there was no injury you could point to. There was no big moment where you thought, oh, everything's just gone wrong for Kasakina. She just seemed to lose form. And it also happened at a time where, I don't know if this sounds harsh, but I, I'm not sure people were really talking about the fact that she'd lost form that much. It was noted, but there was so much else going on. There were so many new players coming through. All the ones we talk about now had kind of had their breakthrough in 2019, Barty, Sviontek, Bondrosheva reached the French Open final. There was a lot more going on. And I think Kasakina kind of drifted. And I think people might have thought, oh, well, we don't necessarily need Kasakina to be part of the picture. But it's a more interesting picture if she is in it because she has got an interesting game. Really mm. sort of exuberant off the court, varied tennis, as David has described. And she's spoken about using a sports psychologist to really get her back on the on the right road and she's been quite open about that um and i think i think it's a it's a game that can add a lot to an already interesting interesting tour so let's hope she can build on this Mm. She's going to be an interesting case study, definitely. Uh, I mentioned Cabal and Farah winning the doubles title in Dubai earlier. We've had some other interesting doubles results from the week, David. What have we got? Well, I think the most notable ones are the Skupski brothers, Ken and Neil uh, from Liverpool in the UK, who played doubles together for, for a number of years, obviously being brothers, and then separated when... Um, Jamie Murray and Neil Skupski started to play together and had some success. And then that split when Jamie wanted to go and play with Bruno Suarez. And it's quite interesting hearing Neil say that with his higher ranking, I mean, in theory, he could have gone and played with somebody else ranked 20 or 30 in the world, but he only wanted to play with his brother again. He did not want to play with anybody else. And even Ken was trying to convince him that he probably should play with one of these higher ranked players. And there they were in Acapulco, blazing their way through this draw, beating Murray and Suarez, which is, you know, quite a statement mm. in itself. Then they beat Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram. So they've basically beaten two of the best British doubles players. And there's a lot of them. We'll, we'll, we'll concentrate on that in, in weeks to come because it's just been such an incredible run that British doubles has had recently. Um, and then they they managed to win the final as well. And uh, they the look on their faces, I mean, Catherine, you would just have melted. <laughs> I did, I did. I've watched, the, I've watched the victory moment. Oh, yeah. It's great, great, great win for them. And uh, I'm really, they're really nice blokes. I'm really chuffed for them. Um, and uh, yeah, it's gonna, it, just Just an addendum to that. It's going to, if assuming the Olympics goes ahead and everything suggests that it will, uh, British doubles picks at the Olympics, or not, not picks, but who plays for GB in the doubles is going to be interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure is. Um, And then in St. Petersburg, it was Kitchenik and Olaru who won the doubles. And in Monterey, it was uh, Asia Mohammed and Caroline Dolhide beating beating Heather Watson and Zheng Sai Sai. So uh, that's your doubles roundup. 
a doubles whip round. Um, I mentioned earlier that I'd uh, I'd done the Andy Murray interview. It's run on Prime Video. I'm sure it'll run again this week. You two both watched it. Um, this isn't a Catherine Fisher's for compliments section of the podcast again. We've already done that. Uh, but what about uh, what that Andy Murray said in that interview jumped out to you two? If anything, well, I mean, lots. He it was really, it was really good, and his openness, his ambition, his dedication to get back, and belief that he can, and and his observation to you, you you asked him if the game had moved on in the years since he was world number one, and he said, no. <laughs> Not really. Um, well, another another crap impersonation. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Thanks for joining me well, you know, there, David. Your company. No, yeah, I mean, and he he clearly thinks, and he was categoric about it that he thinks, and he's looking forward to being part of a Wimbledon draw that he thinks he can be successful in and, and win the title in. He believes, genuinely believes, he said that that is a possibility. I might be delusional some people might think but i believe that that is possible yeah i i also found that comment about the game not moving on to be fascinating i've thought about it a lot and the way you put it to him Catherine, was the last time you were competing at the top to now how would you compare it so we're talking about sort of the middle of 2017 really and i mean my interpretation of murray's comment there is he believes that if he can get back to the level he was at, he will still be able to win, for example, Wimbledon, as he's laid out there. Because I do think a lot of the game has moved on. I must say, I, I think mainly I'm talking about the contenders to the big three, I think, have come on. I mean, four years ago, we were talking about Raonic, Nishikori, Goffin and Dimitrov, basically. Now we're talking about Team Medvedev, Sitsipas and Zverev. And I would say this current group is, is is stronger. I think there's, well, I think the big three have got bigger obstacles now than they had in 2017, for example. Um, Dropped Nishikori like a hot potato, <laughs> Matt. Um, but I agree with Murray as well that if he, if he can get back to that level, I don't think the game has moved on from the very top. I think if, if he can find his top level, he, he will be back in amongst it. But the question is, can he? But I, I love the fact that he truly believes that he can and is going to give everything to find out mm. yeah I'm th- look, there are people out there that does think he's delusional but why wouldn't he try why would if if if, if it's possible even in you know a, a highly unlikely alternate universe even if it's a 0.01 percent opportunity why wouldn't you try um yeah I I, th- I think it's inspiring and uh, it's going to be very interesting to see him in, in Miami because he's got every chance of a decent draw because it is such a decimated draw and he likes it there. He he traditionally has played some of his very best tennis in Miami, he likes the conditions. So um, that's, that's one to watch, certainly. Um, we'll be back on Thursday with another... Uh, podcast reviewing the first few days of Miami. Uh, we'll, of course, um, we, as we come to you at the moment, we don't have the men's draw. So, uh, yeah, we'll be able to, to bring you more Miami 
uh, news and results and some stuff that'll probably be out of date by the time that you listen. Uh, which I know is what you come to the tennis podcast for. Uh, our our mascot for Thursday and for today is Saunders. And I really feel like um, you're having a laugh with me here, given how the last podcast ended. <laughs> Saunders the rabbit. Um <laughs> Uh, Saunders' owner is Chris. Uh, Chris is celebrating his birthday on Tuesday. So happy birthday, Chris. And please enjoy Saunders being the sponsor of the podcast, a podcast that loves rabbits very much. Um, my mascot is Zeus. Really going to try and go for glory this week, Zeus. David's is Rogue. Yeah, We've rogue. had enough gloating. <laughs> Me and you, Rogue. Uh, we nailed it. There it is again. Scousel Mousel, Matt, shares victory with you for the week. Yes. Yes, we also nailed it. <laughs> Chris Albert Lee is our executive producer. Hello, Chris. You're a, you're a top bloke. And our shout outs are for Jenny Price. Right, Jenny. Hello, Jenny. Thanks a lot. Like, like Jenny Brady. That's yeah. what we're calling her now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. Kate Bradley. All right, Kate. Hello, Kate. I could have been a Kate, but my parents went for Kathy. Yeah, with an IE. Mm. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Hello, Kate. Thanks for your support. And finally, Morag, who we know. Oh, we know Morag. Hello. Morag's lovely and always yeah. backs us. Thanks ever so much, Morag. I don't know any other Morags. No, me neither. I don't Which want is to lovely. know any Morag, Morag, you're the only Morag we know. Correct. You're great. Thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. Tell your friends, only if they like tennis. If they don't like tennis, it's probably not the one for them. But do do let them know if they've got a mere passing interest in tennis. Um, tune in to Prime Video to watch the Miami Open from Wednesday. Do subscribe to our newsletter. It's great. Um, it really is great. I'm not just saying that because David tells me to say it. It is excellent. I look forward to it in my inbox every week. Uh, and join us again for another tennis podcast on Thursday. We'll speak to you then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 